Hey, listeners, do you fucking love music? Because we do. And if you fucking love music, please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash on the record music, where for just $5 a month, you can have access to our private podcast where we go in depth on albums, do extended album reviews, do impromptu shows, do live shows, legacy albums, lots of great content on the Patreon, on the private podcast, because we want to share our love of music with the entire world. Look, it's really fucking easy these days to put out a video on YouTube and say, here's why this band sucks, or here are the worst songs out today, or or this song or this album is just crap. It's all clickbait. And that's not who we are. We love music. and We love sharing music. We love talking about music. We are musicians. We are music listeners. We go to concerts. We go to festivals. And that's what we want to spread to the world. And you can help us do that. If you believe these same things that I'm talking about right now, please consider joining us on Patreon. We know you have a choice with what to do with your money. And we hope for just $5 a month, you consider supporting us so we can continue to spread this message and continue our mission of just fucking rocking. So if you would, please go to patreon.com slash on the record music and join us. Now let's get fucking rocking. Hello, hello. You are listening to On The Record Music Podcast, a music podcast for those who just fucking love music. In this week's episode, we are talking political music and protest songs. We're going to go through five songs that we've each hand-selected to talk about. Not necessarily our top songs or favorite songs, but songs we thought were important to talk about. In this episode, you might hear some out-of-date references. That's because we pushed this episode back a week so we could fit in Corona Madness last week instead of doing it this week like we had originally planned. So you might hear us reference that in an outdated way, so just kind of ignore that and go with it. Since we're all cooped up inside now, would be a great time to tell people about this podcast if you get any value from it. We hope you do. So please share this with one other person who could use some music in their life, and hopefully that will help spread the word because that's what we want to do and we want to get out there. We really hope you're staying safe out there and not going too crazy and keeping yourself content. But again, we really appreciate you listening. You can find us more at Instagram at On The Record Music and Facebook at On The Record Music as well. Again, stay safe, be good to yourself, and rock on. They hand you a joint as you walk in. It's like having a leadoff hitter that hits 210. Well, you know, Jesse... You're wrong because you can never have enough guitar. How's that high life doing? (laughs) It's empty. (laughs) Love it. And we're on the record, a music podcast ran by two guys who can barely run their lives. I'm the first voice, Jesse Drager, on the podcast. My friend Ben is the other voice. How are you doing? I'm the second voice, Ben Ringhofer, here in Chicago. And things are things, I guess. Here we are, day four of essentially, (laughs) yeah, day four of quarantine here in Chicago. So we're recording this March 18th, and this episode will come out March 27th. So, hey, everyone, 10 days in the future. I'm sure so much more shit has happened, but we'll talk about what we know so far. Yeah, definitely. And Ben is surprisingly not wearing an orange jumpsuit, but uh, he definitely is fit enough to pump some... um, license plates numbers into a metal sheet well i'm not going to jail dude i don't know that kind of sounds like what's going on around the world doesn't i'm it? locked <laughs> i'm locked in in my apartment with electricity and running water and tv and music that's that's just part of the simulation you're meant to feel those not actually experience those so 
That's well, the scary part of this simulation. If this is a simulation, it's a shitty one, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I think the user went to the bathroom and is listening to some heavy metal while, you know, taking enormous shit. I think that's he's, what's going on with this fucking world. He's going to walk out and be like, oh, fuck, fuck, what the shit? Oh, he's my like, God. Uh, okay, oh, nuclear. Fucked nuclear. everything up. Yeah, so we're all going to be dead by the time this episode comes out anyway. So if you can tell, Ben and I are kind of morosely... Uh, really hiding our pain of really big news in this week in music. Now, it's not really horrible music, but two episodes ago, we let you know about South by Southwest being canceled. Uh, Coachella was postponed and moved to, was that October, Ben? Yes, I believe and, so. And yes, I think that's right about the same time. And now, uh, unfortunately, uh, we have news on Bonnaroo. Ben, you sent me the news. What was the news? Yeah, I saw it about a minute after it was announced that Bonnaroo has suspended their festival until September, late September 24th through 27th, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was one of those, at first we held out hope. It was like, we'll see about Coachella, and then that quickly fell. And then I was actually surprised that Bonnaroo announced this so early. I thought they'd yeah. still wait a week, but honestly, from the stuff I've been reading, it seems like we could have some version of quarantine for several months. Yeah, it's 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 different. You know, it's like, oh, it's only... Maybe six weeks, you know, two months to now it's like there's even 12 months out there that some scientists, quote unquote, scientists are saying. So it is really, uh, yeah, kind of a wide range. It's kind of like uh, when the cable guy used to come see in the nine in the 90s when they would say, we'll be there from eight to noon or maybe noon to three. You know, you didn't know when they were coming. So you had to take the full day off. It's kind of like what coronavirus is doing to us in life. More or less. <laughs> I mean, honestly, at this point. I think we're seeing a whole restructure. We're going to see a restructuring of a lot of things of society in general. I don't think like even at this point, like I know it's March when we're recording this, but I'm even worried about the start of football season at this point. (laughs) Like, I don't know. You know, I think we might have it. I think it's up in the air at this point. I really don't know. That's about six months away until the season starts, but you got training camps and all that. Who knows what things will be like in July, but Musically, things are changing too. Concerts are canceled, postponed. Rage Against the Machine has postponed their first leg of their tour, so I will not be seeing them in May. Uh-huh. I believe yeah, that's May. when that was scheduled for. And quite honestly, at this point, I really couldn't tell you what's going to happen. A lot of that might get postponed or canceled indefinitely, but we just got to take it one day at a time. I think this is a good time, and I was just kind of using this to remind myself, like, we got music. That's what we got. Hell yeah, yeah. And we can use that a lot to get us through some of these times. So whatever gets you through will help you. And today, I think this is a good segue. We're talking about a topic that I really enjoy about music. And I think given everything that's going on, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear some sort of music related to coronavirus and this administration's handling of this. Maybe I'll write a song myself. But... Today we're talking about political songs and political music in general. And this is this is a topic that I had thought of because when I started listening to music, political music was one of the first things I remember kind of being attracted to, especially as I got into the mid to late teens range. And one of the bands that I'm going to talk about in today's episode is a band that was wildly influential on that, and that's Rage mm-hmm. Against the Machine. And I've already talked about them in this episode. And they really got me to see music 
as a tool for communicating and giving a voice to people. And so I've always been drawn to political music. And there's a lot more bands and artists that we'll talk about that have also attracted me to this. So I've always really enjoyed political music. I know some people don't. Some people might not care for it. But to me, I've always closely associated politics and music. And so I'm really excited to talk about this today. We're going to run through some songs that we identify as political songs in whatever capacity. And then just talk about the history of political music and where it was and where it is today and maybe the future as well. No, definitely. I I've always I've always known that music and kind of politics kind of always mesh together, but that's only because I saw it through the lens of rock and roll mostly throughout my life. Just as you have, I'm sure. Rage is a really great one. That they were one of the best '90s rock bands to actually be political in their vocals. When I go back to the '90s around that time too, you know, there's a social protest kind of thing. You know, through uh, Nirvana's first album, especially with "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and we'll kind of delve into that a little bit later. But also '90s rap was filled with great protest, and early, or excuse me, late '80s rap was even hip hop was really uh, political. But when we go back to the 60s rock, you know, it was, you know, John Lennon and the Beatles for me, they were very strong in their political voice uh, in the songs. And uh, that that really showed me that they really, really meant it um, when John Lennon actually in the early 65 actually was so tired of all the questions being asked by the American media. He's like, why don't you guys ever talk about Vietnam? You know, well, that's because the other contemporaries that he had met in America, the American kind of folk singers and early rockers we're really talking about this stuff and it really opened up his eyes. So you really see that it goes beyond a lot of our influences early on. And I mean, American uh, protest songs have been going on since the early 1800s even, which really surprised me when, when you brought this subject up, I really wanted to know a little bit more of the history and, uh, I'm just surprised at how deep it goes because I really always thought it kind of really generated out of that sixties push the most, but I think that's when it became most prevalent. Sure. That's a great place. And I'm glad we're starting here because to me, that's what I associate a lot of political music with is the political movements of the 60s and 70s, highly correlated with the civil rights movement. And we saw a lot of the political discourse coming from the folk music scene. Bob Dylan, just to name one, who was Mm -hmm. heavily influenced by Woody Guthrie, who was also very political. And so the list goes on and on. And that's I'm glad you brought this up and I hope you expand on this more because that's something research I didn't do was look back yeah. into protest songs really prior to the 60s. So do you have any more information you can tell us about? Yeah. So just one of the examples that I followed the most because this is like the deepest that I went and and so this is kind of just looking at America kind of more or less. I didn't really look into like, you know, Africa's or some Jamaica and, and uh, you know, Europe. I didn't really go too deep in there just because it's our heritage is American soil. So I really looked at that and. You know, beyond the 60s, you know, from uh, before that, there was kind of this one of the originating political people were a family called the Hutchinson Family Singers. Um, They were actually really popular in America at this time. And they were kind of a American family singing group, um, sang four part harmonies. And um, they were just very, very popular in the 1840s. Um, they even sang at the White House with, um, oh, who was it? President John Tyler. Um, and they actually befriended <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. That is. 
<laughs> oh, so it was the I think it was the guy right before Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Uh, so it, so I think I want to say it was about 1840s, 1842 to eighteen forty six. I think he was president, and I think Abraham came into that time or just the next uh, cycle after that. But they were all friends, and you know they that's how popular they were. Um, but there's you know a lot of what their subject matters uh, touched on at that time. Um, Kind of focused on idealism, social reform, equal rights, moral improvement, community activism, and patriotism. Now, doesn't that sound very, you know, vaguely familiar to how the 20th century and the 21st century protest songs, you know, ideated? I mean, doesn't that sound very familiar? It seems like nothing's changed. Yeah. So it's kind of like, so their actual, like the, the actual true... Um, you know, subject matters that they touched on was the abolition, the temperance movement, war, women's suffrage, and just in general politics. So, I mean, a lot of those are kind of mirrored in the same way that we've seen in the 1960s, so 100 years later. But I think what the only difference was is the way that we're receiving information, the way that we're receiving content. So, you know, that is a really great example that I looked at in the history. Um, And, of course, about, like, the 1930s and, and a little bit earlier than that, there was quite a bit, especially in blues music. But this Hutchinson family, I was very surprised to find out, they were considered to be one of the forerunners of the 1950s and 1960s protest singers, songwriters, and folk groups such as Woody Guthrie, Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger. It's so fucking cool. Wow, that's fascinating. It's really cool just to see that because that time period too, 1842 to 1846, that's right on the cusp of the Civil War. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure social tensions were high, and I'm sure at that point they had felt nothing like that because at that point you're... 50, 60, 70 years removed from the Revolutionary War. So there's probably a lot of turnover. So you're a generation removed at that point. But now you're facing a whole new set of challenges. And so just have this protest music rise up. And I'm sure protest music, it's not exclusive to America or to the last 300 years even. I'm sure protest music has taken shape and form for centuries all across Europe. And as nations have developed and risen and fell... Like especially under rule of authoritarian kings and dictators, I'm sure there's always been some sort of protest music. And that's actually something now that we talk about this, I kind of want to look into a little more. I'm kind of sad I didn't do that for this episode, but we have plenty to talk about anyway. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of my uh, songs on the list is the artist is actually uh, from another country and he actually you know, that country really had a good uprising and he was a very big influence with his music and his words. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what kind of jogged, jogged my head where I was like, Oh, I want to understand like how far does this go? And when I was researching it, they were talking about other areas of the world where it was happening. And one of my friends actually, I was bringing this subject up with them and talking with them. And he's like, well, you know, I would think that a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the slaves in the 16, 1700s when they were picking cotton and in the cotton fields Absolutely. Working and stuff like that, their, um, their field songs and the, the field hollering that yes. they would do were kind of uh, very reminiscent to just regular protest songs in themselves mm-hmm. um, because they were even repeated down throughout tradition and they were created in the 1900s when, you know, a lot of those early blues and early jazz were coming in and they were kind of like, 
hiding them in, in innuendos and stuff. You know, like blues guitarists always, you yep. know, anything phallic, you know, it's like, hey, I'm, you know, the banana blues, you know, it's talking sexual, but they could get away with it because they weren't actually talking about the sex. It was more or less the innuendos. And so sure. that's exactly what they were doing, I think, in protest in those fields and in those early blues jazz songs. So let me ask you this. What, in your definition, what makes a protest song or a political song? You know, I mean, that's one thing that I still have struggled because I really think that it can be a, a multitude of things. I don't want to say it defines a generation, but I think it tells a story of that generation, but it also has to have some sort of feeling. Uh, one of my, or I think all of my songs, just like all of your songs, they do, you know, they project this angst, this this disappointment maybe as well with humanity. I mean, there's a lot of feelings that you can go into a political movement, but you got to have some sort of feeling along with the, the political stand-up. And I think you just have to have really good music that goes with it. Um, I think and, and that can be as you know, broad as anything can be too, because one of my songs is just a couple of, you know, instruments and a vocals and it's like, it's so powerful. Um, but I really think that, uh, for a really good political song, I think there's gotta be feeling. You gotta have lyrics that actually make you stand up as well. Um, so it's gotta be that combo. I don't think the performance is needing to be that strong, but I think some of the ones that I chose are, uh, good representations of using that feeling through the music and projecting it through their vocal and the performance as well. But to me, it's more about, you know, what mood are you feeling? Like, how are you connecting with feelings and how are you making people stand up? Sure. I like that. I'm glad you went that route because I answered that question a little bit differently. I took a more broad view. I'm, I'm a big picture guy, Jesse. I don't know if you know that about me. I'm a big picture guy. Well, I know you like broads. I don't know what that has to do with big picture. I don't know, because you said you, you're more of a broad guy. <laughs> That's a fucking stretch. Anyway, um, so I answered it in a big picture way. And to me, a protest song or a political song is just a song that addresses an issue of injustice in some way, shape, or form. So that can be a grand sociopolitical scale that affects the whole world, or it could be a small local scale about something in your town or your village or your block even i don't think there is it doesn't have to be the topic doesn't matter but i think a political song addresses some sort of injustice or perceived injustice and that's what it is it's addressing that mm -hmm. it's challenging that it's trying to raise awareness and help people understand the issue and potentially change some minds on it so they can make progress on it so that's kind of what i view a protest or political song as Oh yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I definitely see it exactly how you would see it too there. That's a nice way of seeing it because it really is about injustice. It's about standing up against that and you you see it a lot in the, the eras that we have stood uh, that we have studied um, throughout a lot of our music. So when I really looked in the past, it really does kind of fit that that um, that light that you see it in is too from the uh, Hutchinson family all the way. Uh, through the 1800s, anything that I saw felt like it was standing up and it still had that same kind of a theme with every protest song. So let's talk about, let's move to today. So we've talked a lot about the history and where we saw protests and political songs really take off, especially here in America. But let's talk about protest songs today and give me your take on protest and political music in today's environment. 
you know, I think that it's um, it, it's faded out. I really think that because there was such a huge wave of that in the 60s and the 70s for the most part, that by the time it got to the 80s, a lot of what was going to be a protest was going to be more societal. There wasn't really that much deepness into the political realm, even though the Reagan years definitely were kind of right there and people still fought against it. There was a lot of injustice going on in there with the drug wars and um, really bad taxes um, and stuff like that. The mainstream, I don't think, paid attention to it. So it kind of went under the current. And so basically, I think the tone changed in the mainstream area, the popular culture, so that I think a lot of it was that underground, that indie stuff, the you know, it felt like the like the baby boom generation still held kind of control of popular culture at that time. So that's where the the Gen X generation came up, and a song like you know "Smells Like Teen Spirit" cut that mainstream in half, and it showed that these young people were ready to take over the mainstream. And there was political unrest. There was all this stuff because even in the late '80s, a lot of uh, hip hop was still underground, and especially when you look at something like you know. Um, NWA is, you know, fuck the police. That's, you know, that's not going to be played on mainstream that much, but it kind of creeped into the subconscious of a lot of people there. And I just really think that as time goes on, uh, the tone changes in the popular culture. And for a long time, it stood the test of time. But as of today, I think that it's a little too broad. You can you can be activist and protesting almost anything that you want. So I think you and I as music as music lovers and musicians, we do see a little bit more of the protest song, but in the mainstream, you know, um popular culture, I don't think I see it as much. And I just think it's because nobody's really looking at it or it's a little bit, you know, hidden and I'm not, you know, in tune with a lot of pop music, but um I felt like the pop music world was really taken um over by that in the 60s and 70s and it's just kind of waved down and it's at like its low point but I think there's some coming up over the last few years I know during the Bush years speaking of politics it really um, did spike up quite a bit especially even the Dixie Chicks um, in the country world you know Mm -hmm. getting bombasted so it's around and it's just more spread out I think I don't think there's this one united push like there was in the 60s and um, you know I, I think there's a there's a little bit of the rock music at that time was in its infancy and it was oppressed um, just like the children um, of the 60s were. So thus, it was a big bang that exploded. That's a good take. And I agree with a lot of what you said. Today, protest music, it exists. It certainly does. And I think it's it's not centralized. And I think that's part of the point you were making. There, A, isn't a seemingly a common cause because now there's a lot of issues And so you have people, but I think that also follows and correlates to the fragmentation of music anyway, because now there's so much music out there in existence, whereas in the 60s, you were kind of confined to like what was played on the radio. And today, you can listen on Spotify, you can listen on YouTube, you can listen to the radio, you can listen to Pandora, like you can still have your own vinyl or CD collection. Right, so music is fragmented, so I think with that comes the fragmentation of political music as well so it exists but I also think that no one's really stepped up to take the mantle of being that protest music leader a lot of bands put out protest songs you can hear it even from like the Black Keys or the Raconteurs 
anybody. There's a song or two. Pearl Jam does it a lot that is political, but they don't take the political mantle. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone like Bob Dylan, like his music was political, and he kind of took that mantle of being that political, the person that people look to for political discourse. But you don't have that with artists today. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think you were hitting on the right thing of rock being underground. When rock and roll was coming alive in the 50s and 60s, it was rebellious. Older adults hated it or they feared Mm -hmm. it. And so it was a natural fit that protest songs would be embedded in rock and roll because it was in its nature a rebellious thing. So Mm -hmm. it was about protest. It was ingrained in the culture of rock and roll. And rock and roll eventually became accepted into the mainstream. So it diverged and it fragmented. And there's a huge expansion of rock music in the 1970s. You had the introduction of metal, prog rock, punk rock into the 80s. And then you get in a new wave. And I'm only scratching the surface on this. So it fragmented there. And some went political with it. Some went thematic with it. Others went love in a lot of personal, very personal with it. So it just changed a lot. And so it's going to change with every generation. In the 90s, rock music really was representative of a generation that felt lost and left out with grunge music. So a lot of that was personal, inward looking. There was some outward political music as well. Like I said, it exists in all areas, but it always meant something different to every generation in the 2000 in the 2000s in the internet age and kind of where we are today music has been about escapism or it's been about positivity and kind of feeling good and understandably so because we've been living in some weird fucked up times ourselves but you've seen bands everywhere from like system of a down to muse and that's again i'm only scratching the surface here because i'm only thinking off the top of my head But you also still have people like Neil Young who exist today and are still writing political Mm -hmm. music. So it's out there and newer bands are doing it too. But no one's taken the mantle of we are a political band and risen to the level of notoriety where they can affect national discourse. Because I'm sure there are bands out there, artists out there who are very political in their music, but for whatever reason, haven't gotten to that level where most people know who they are. No, that's very, very true. And, you know, Neil Young is still rocking and rolling pretty heavily out there uh, doing a lot of political work. That's just nice to see that he's he hasn't changed like that. You know, he's still out there. He's like, nope, here's my peace of mind. And you're going to you're going to take a bite out of it. You know, yep. I One think. Of the th- oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think today, though, we are more primed than ever for a reemergence of political music. No, oh, yeah. I think with so many things going on especially in our political world here in the United States but all around the world you're seeing a shift generally towards more authoritarianism Mm -hmm. and the embracing of that nature and I think that breeds political music and that's something that excites me not the turn towards authoritarianism but the ways that we as a people will combat that and I think music political music will be one of those tools that we'll use so I think it's prime and I myself a lot of the music that I write tends to be of a political nature and I plan on putting more and more of that out there I do have a couple demos out there soundcloud.com slash Ben Ringhofer that's R-I-N-G-H-O-F-E-R plug for myself if you want to hear some of that but I think we're primed and getting there again I don't know if 
we're going to see it, but I think the field is ready for it. Oh, no, definitely. Especially, uh, you know, one of the things when I was thinking about, you know, protests and political songs, I was really thinking about how we look back on, you know, like the 1930s protests and how they correlate to what's happened or what information we have. And I'm kind of wondering, like, what songs we're going to see of the coronavirus, you know, in, in the in the future, what the times are right now. Because even we, you and I, can look back maybe at, like, the biggest uh, event in our lives was 9-11. If we look back at songs like that, which I haven't, that surround the 9-11 aspect, um, you know, I bet you there's quite a few, and it would be fun to see, like, which ones those are, are even, you know. Um, one thing I wanted to touch back upon that you said uh, when you mentioned about when we discussed about the wave of rock and roll, how it was just this underground and then it came back up. You know, like I said, with the grunge movement and the hip hop movement in the late 80s to the 90s, mm-hmm. that had that same pattern. Uh, the jazz and the blues in the early 1900s had that same pattern and then it was mainstream and then it kind of broke out. I mean, it, it's really fun to see these wave, uh, these patterns of waves in our popular culture and the way that these different music movements kind of come up and go. And a lot of them carry these type of themes with them. So I wonder if we're due for another uh, music movement along with this, uh, with this, this time. I think we very well, very well might be. Yeah. So it's kind of, it was, this has been a fun topic to kind of really, really research finally. Um, and I tell you what, it, it was really cool to read the history. And like you said, you're going to kind of look a little bit deeper into it. I'm going to look more deeper into it as well because it, I want to study more of those other countries that, uh, and their history of like protest songs. And um, they all seem to be stemming from about the you know early 1900s um, to about the 1950s in most of these countries that I saw. So this will be kind of a nice little fun extra homework to do afterwards. Definitely. there's There's a lot to learn. And I think... If we wanted to, we could even go more depth into political songs in a part two episode if the audience demands it. Deems, yeah. We'll see if we get all the hits and the likes. So um, I think every, what everybody wants to hear is what we're here for. I mean, to yeah. really kind of see what really clicks with us and what, uh, what, what rocks. So we compiled a handful of songs and a, a political songs that we're going to talk about. Now, for me personally, I wouldn't consider these. I don't. I didn't do this as a top five format. I don't know mm-hmm. about you because Dude. there's so many political songs, but I wanted to pull a few songs that either had some significance for me or I thought were representative of political music across the spectrum, and I just thought they were worth highlighting. So that's kind of the like criteria I used of songs that stood out to me and songs that I thought were just interesting to talk about to highlight different examples of protest songs. How did you pick your songs? Uh, that's very similar to how I did it. I kind of went with the ones that, um, songs that I remember from my childhood that really yep. stood out to me that really was like, whoa, they wrote about this or wow, how, how they performed this song is so fantastic to the way that I feel about this topic. Um, so it was kind of like the, the mixed feelings and the performance or the just the full uh, composition of the piece that they put together. And I think my five are fantastic. I got to see your five and those are uh, listening to, to them. They're fantastic, especially in the different deliveries that they are. And it sounds just exactly like how I kind of went with mine. So let's get started. Why don't you kick us off with your first song? 
Yeah, you know what? I'm going to start off with one artist um, that really kind of, other than the Beatles, and don't worry, folks, there are no Beatles songs on my top five, If unless people are very disappointed with that. However, one of the uh, first bands that really, really stuck out to me that, you know, stood up in protest was uh, this song that my dad uh, introduced me to, and that is Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young's Ohio. That riff in the beginning is so fantastic. I'm really glad you picked this song because had you not, I probably would have. <laughs> it's really it's a gr- it's a great song in and of itself. Like like you said, like listen to this guitar riff kick in in that little solo. Mm-hmm. It's it grind this song grinds and you can feel the anger and the energy of this song oh yeah this song just really kicks in it's got that it's got that true rock and roll sound to it it's it's kind of i mean it's a full sound very phil specter almost wall of sound like and so you're getting everything that's kind of really heavy but um when you look at the history of this so this was Based off, so being a protest song, this is uh, Neil Young's uh, distaste for what happened at uh, Kent University uh, on May 4th, uh, 1970, when several students got shot and killed and several more even got injured while the shooting was happening because a lot of students were protesting. Uh, President Nixon, I forgot his name for a second, uh, Dick Nixon, uh, sent in uh, the troops to uh, stand up against this this group and uh, very tragic acts, you know, acts went on there. Um, and this is what he was doing. They were protesting the Vietnam War, correct? Mm-hmm. And yes. the National Guard was sent in and things escalated and students were killed. Yeah. Now, just for just for doing their, you know, I think it's Sixth Amendment uh, rights of just being able to protest and. Um, nobody knows. I, I mean, I haven't seen the footage in almost, you know, probably 10 or 12 years. Um, but when, you know, there was definitely, I don't think any, any, any instigation and definitely no means for that type of action uh, on that. So I can see why Neil Young was pissed and thank God he was pissed for it because this song is so addicting. I really like the lyrics, especially. Yeah. Talk about the lyrics. Yeah, I mean, just the just the opening part right here. Ten soldiers and Nixon's coming. We're finally on our own, meaning that they don't have the government's back anymore. The government yep. turned on them, you know, and that's such a strong feeling to think about that because if you think about it right now, we're kind of in that aspect, and it's just really sad that, um, you know, that authoritarian aspect uh, was put into effect, and it's just really sad to see um that this kind of action happened right there so that's why they went there but then the middle section um you know got to get down to it soldiers are cutting us down should have been done long ago what if you knew her so he's here this is wonderful part where it really says that you know he's calling to a, a feeling he's yep. calling to a human connection he's with humanizing that. What, her what you know the person that was shot there that female what if you knew her and found her dead on the ground how can you run when you know? And that's like, oh, turn around, stand up, boom. And I think that's what the power of these lyrics are. That's all what the lyrics are in the whole song, basically. And 
you know, the music is strong. The vocals are amazing because it's Crosby, Stills, Nash. You know, it's amazing. This song is just so well put together. Yeah, very well put together. Pulls no punches because in the second half of that chorus, after we're finally on our own, this summer I hear the drumming for Dead in Ohio. So mm-hmm. you can't mix up what the song is about. It's very explicit. And the yeah, name of the right song called Ohio, Kent State being in Ohio. Yeah, there's no mixing what this song is about. No, and that's what's really good about, I think, all five of my songs is I think lyrically I picked songs that really stood out to me as some as artists that were just putting it out there, you know, except for one song. Uh, but all four, uh, four of my five are one of those type of lyrics that just tells you as it is. And so I think that will do it for me, Ben, on Ohio. Would you like to go next with your selection? I would. So this song that I'm about to introduce is one of the first songs I remember learning about as a political song, especially probably around 10th grade when you're learning about American studies and really diving into, on a deeper level, our history as a country. And I remember doing a unit where we intertwined political music with what was going on at this time. So this song is off the record Let It Bleed from 1969. The song is Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Obviously, at the time, learning about this and starting to listen to more music and expand my music horizons, we were learning about the Vietnam War. And there was a lot of protest music around the Vietnam War. But this song, I think, is iconic with the Vietnam War. And you see those montages of people walking through the jungle and bombs dropping. And this song is playing. Another one, honorable mention... I think you have to throw in some CCR in there as well. Yes. Highly political with the Vietnam War. So shout out to CCR and John Fogarty because they also deserve a lot of credit for the protest music surrounding the Vietnam War. But Can I, I say with, one thing about CCR real quick? Yes. Of I course. always thought the song wrote a song for everyone was based off of uh, Vietnam War. But here, it was actually written about his wife. So that was one of the songs that I had chosen for the list. But when I looked it up, just to kind of see what the actual history was, it's actually just written about uh, his wife. And it's like, whoa, that's even a sweeter song now, you know. So that that was my one misstep with CCR and their, and their uh, politicizing. The lyrics in this song, too, very explicit. Pretty much can tell what it's about with the words, war, children, is just a shot away. Later in the song, rape, murder, it's just a shot away. And that was reflecting a lot of what was going on in Vietnam with innocent people being killed and shot, raping, murdering, and the whole fucked up reason we were there to begin with. 
and if you don't know the Vietnam War that much, look into it because it's some fucked up shit. What the United States, how it got into it starting in the early 60s and how it evolved and turned into a full-fledged war. I don't want to go into the full details of it, but man, it's something and I can see why people were pissed. Oh, no, definitely. There was some really bad shit going on out there and um, a lot of music was trying to show for what it was and it's just uh, kind of sad that those kind of events actually happened. Um, talking about this song, do you know how, um, I believe this is how the story goes, but do you know how Keith Richards gets that really cool sound on his guitar? No. It's because at this time, he started around Let It Bleed to play with just five strings on his six-string guitar. And it just had that extra sound. And so he played like that forever in like the 70s and 80s. But um, I want to say this is one of my favorite Stone songs, and this is my favorite Stones album. So kudos to you on picking this baby. Yeah, this is a great song. And I think one of the reasons it stands out is because alone it's a very good song. So you hear it, and I think a lot of people hear this, and they don't know what it's about, but Mm -hmm. they've heard this song, and it's such a good song. that And you can dance to this song. That's kind of the weird part about this song is it's one, it could be on, a cover band could be playing this at the bar, and people are going to dance to it because it's catchy and it's fun. But man, that guitar solo in there, so awesome, great tone, glad you let me know about that sound. And then those vocals by Mary Clayton are fantastic and her vocals she screams so loud her her vocals break up and to me that represents the raw emotion of being so angry and screaming at the top of your lungs that your voice breaks and that's exactly what her voice does in this song one of my favorite vocal performances in any song ever yeah no this is one this is the reason for one of my uh favorite songs uh, her vocals in here is so fantastic. And uh, my friend Alex Munstock pointed out something really cool. When you hear her crack, if you listen really, really deep and close into the right channel with the volume up as much as you can, you can hear after she squeaks and her and she, her voice breaks, you can hear Mick Jaker go, whoa, in the background. He was, he was in awe of the fact that she could fucking pump that out. And that is so cool about this song is that that little tidbit stays in there. So, and a lot of people can't hear it. You just got to turn it up real loud and, and just hear it as soon as her voice breaks. She'll go, you know, whoa, whoa, and then her voice breaks and you hear this, whoa, that's Mick. That's awesome. I'll check that out. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's keep it moving. What What's your next protest song that you want to talk about? Um, ben, I protest this list. Um, so no, I'm just kidding. Uh, next up, um, I'm trying to think where, where should I go on my list? Um, you know, I'm going to go with, um, one of the greatest protest, uh, people of all time. Um, not just because he's from my hometown of Duluth, Minnesota. Um, but because this song right here, I mean, you could have chosen any song, um, of many of songs that he has written to be, um, worthy of a protest song but the one that stood out the most to me is one that he um actually uh, performed on august 28th 1963 uh the day and place of the infamous martin luther king's i have a dream speech um this is bob dylan and this is his performance on youtube that uh, i'm giving you the clip of ben uh, this is bob dylan's performance of only a pawn in their game Your applause. 
because he needs no further introduction. Mr. Bob Dylan. A bullet from the back of a bush could make your effort blood. His finger finds the trigger to his name. And so this is very much very much like Bob Dylan, you know, classic. This is him and his guitar. It is him just simply strumming, very folky-like, very kind of Woody Allen. Um, when you watch the video of him performing it here, actually, it's it's really amazing. I've never seen him perform it other than in this video. Um, and it's just really uh, uh, one of those songs that is lyrically very punchy. It's in your straightforward. It tells it like it is, but it's it uses a lot of great imagery uh, in it, like the opening line just in itself, a bullet from the back of a bush took Medgar Evers' blood. I mean, it's just showing that it's showing a death right there. And so what this is about is the assassination of a civil rights activist named Medgar Evers in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, that took place in June 12th, 1963. So only two months, two and a half months before Martin Luther King got up in, in Washington, D.C. and said, uh, I have a dream. Bob Dylan is a person we could do a whole episode on political music, but I'm I'm glad you chose Bob Dylan. You beat me to making this list, so I was definitely going to put a Dylan track on my list, but <laughs> I kept it off there after you had put this one on there. And I think this is a great song because it's not, the, in my opinion, at least for me, not the first political song that I would think of for Bob Dylan, but it's such an influential song. And I think going off of those lyrics, A Bullet in the Bush or a bullet from the back of a bush took Medgar Evers' blood. He was one of those, too. His lyrics were very straightforward in his political protest songs. There was no mystery about what it might be about. He would put in the imagery in his songs, but oftentimes he was very explicit. Another Mm -hmm. political protest song is that I think really stands out that most people probably know is the song Hurricane by Bob Dylan. And that one starts out very similar where it's very explicit. The song is that story of the hurricane, the boxer, being framed for this murder. So he's one of those. It's very explicit. He's very forward, and it connected with people because I think people were craving that, wanting that, someone to speak up and say the exact things that they were thinking and feeling, and he was just able to rise through and connect with people and grow an audience for it. Yeah, this one especially really drew to me because, to me, I really love the the rhyming is strong and it's sporadic at the same time, so it kind of feels like chaotic, but there's still some sensibility within that uh, chaoticness almost. There's some there's some stability in there, and so I think his rhyming is very strong but sporadic, um, and also I think a lot of it is is saved by the piercing delivery he has after that first line. Um, and it just feels like it's exactly piercing like that bullet. And I want to go back to his lyrics about that. One of my notes, as you can see here, is that I, I say that he um, has a return of the bullet in the very last verse. So the fifth verse, uh, he comes back and sings, um, Today Medgar Evers was buried from the bullet he caught. They lowered him down as a king. And so that right there just puts so much. It it brings it back full circle almost. And the way that he performs that is a little bit slower. Then he kind of picks it back up near the end of this thing, uh, near the end of this verse. And 
it's just so amazing. And if I can say anything, uh, the album that um, this appears on, The Times They Are Changing, is actually one of the greatest albums I've ever listened to. It's actually literally could be about six. Uh, there's nine songs, and I think six of them are like really good political songs, but absolutely fant- fantastic performance. This song really... Uh, stood out out of all of them other than the times they are changing i think this one really stands into a different realm of its own well said i will introduce my next song now so this one brings us to modern times and addresses and talks about a lot of what we saw continuing speaking of the civil rights movement of especially the struggles of african americans here in america and highlights a lot of those struggles and especially what's gone on in the last five, six years with the increase or at least the more public knowledge of police shooting of unarmed or innocent black people, unarmed and innocent black people and talking about that and addressing where we are today and putting a positive twist on it of addressing these issues and making it a rallying cry rather than just a scathing political song. So this song is off to Pimp a Butterfly in 2015. The song is All Right by Kendrick Lamar. All's my life I has to fight, nigga. All's my life I hard times like yeah, bad trips like yeah. Nazareth, I'm fucked up, homie. You fucked up, but if God got us, then we gon' be alright. So this song starts before the song even begins. There's a lot of poetry embedded into this, and I'm not going to read through it all right now, but take a moment to go back and look up the lyrics. This is for everyone listening. Look up the lyrics, but make sure to include the poem at the beginning because Kendrick Lamar does a fantastic job of writing poetry and including spoken word into his music, whether it's during or before or after. And he really colorfully explains the emotions inside him and the feelings of what's going on in the world. And one of the things that he says in the beginning of the song before the music actually starts is he says, while my loved ones were fighting the continuous war back in the city, I was entering a new one, a war that was based on apartheid and discrimination. And that's followed by a gunshot. And in the video, it's a white police officer shooting at a black man. So very powerful, very explicit, and addressing a lot of what's been happening in our country. No, definitely. He, I mean, he has the benefit, too, of using wonderful imagery to kind of go with his words by having a, a, a music video that kind of really di- dictates what it is. But when you just listen to that opening kind of uh you know poetry it, it, it is really wonderful that kind of it's a great setup i didn't realize that it was actually co uh written by uh pharaoh Wilms as well um i i thought yep. i knew he produced it i didn't know he uh co-wrote it too so that's really good yeah that so pharrell williams so. as i was researching more of this song pharrell williams i learned actually had written the original song and oh. then worked with kendrick lamar to develop the song into what it became but What I was saying earlier is the positivity also that this song exudes because the whole chorus is repeating, we gonna be all right. And that was adopted by the 
Black Lives Matter movement and sung and chanted at a lot of the rallies that they were hosting. And so taking that positive message, but using it as a unifying force to stand up what you believe in, I think is a great way to organize a protest song, especially in our modern world, because I think that's kind of what people are looking for is that positivity within the protest. No, that's a really good focus on that. I, I really enjoy it. And one thing when you actually hear the melody of we're going to be all right, you know, it's just a really good catch. It's a really good hook. It really gets you in it kind of actually is a reinforcement it's kind of that stand up it's we're going to be all right so just stand up and stand up against what you're facing and so that's really good positivity that's kind of like using the music and the hook to really make sure that people are getting that positivity absolutely and there is explicit lyric in here really quick before we move on straightforward about what it's about no messing around when he says and we hate the popo want to kill us dead in the street for show if you didn't already gather that from the beginning of the song, it's explicitly laid out, so there is no mincing words about what this song is addressing. No, definitely, and and that's that's the power of uh, having political music uh, and having protest music is you got to use the language that you know that really cuts through a lot of people in our society, and I think there's nothing wrong with that, and we have a couple songs on the list still ahead that might have that. Uh, uh, kind of a power with it, you know. Definitely. So why don't we move on and let's talk about your next song. All right. So uh, speaking of one of those songs that actually has some harsh language, something that really cuts through the fabric, using that as a tool necessarily, um, even though I don't think that's what this artist's really big intention was, um, it's just that he had overheard his wife say this phrase, which is the title of the song, and um, there was a big uproar, and there's a big question I want to ask at the end of this, but the song that I'm leading into, this song, uh, is another song that comes from an album that is pretty much all kind of a protest song. It appears in 1972's Something in New York by the artist John Lennon, and this is Woman is the Nigger of the World. But this song starts off with a beautiful sax little number. Um, it's a really powerful kind of a jazzy rocker. Um, it's got everything in it. But we, you know, one of the biggest things about this song, um, like I said, it, it, the title was coined from a phrase that Yoko Ono had said in the late '60s while in a, pr- a press conference with John Lennon. She had mentioned that women um, are so oppressed that they're, you know, women are the niggers of the world, basically, is what she said. And so John Lennon, that had always stuck in his head, and while he was going through some personal things, um, realizing that he was also very bad to females and to his partners, um, realized how shitty of a man he was, and this phrase kept going through his head, and, you know, he decided to kind of write one of the ultimate uh, feminist songs, I think, and this is really... Um, a really strong anthem up there with um, the name is uh, uh, slipping my name uh, slipping my mind uh, I can't remember her name but uh, stand by your man is another one that was kind of a big one back in the back in the 
early late 60s and early 70s um but this song really stands out um really well just if you look at the lyrics again it's straight to the punch um like verse two or three i think it is um we insult her every day on tv and wonder why she has no guts or confidence when she's young we kill her will to be free so this song does have like that push towards of standing up for women and it's a strong thing for feminism but we have a title that also crisscrosses kind of another movement, does it not? Definitely does. And that's what really stands out to me, especially in this day. This title is not aged well. And I understand because you also included. So there's a part where he explains the title of this song and how it's meant to be understood. And he provides some examples, including a lot of support from African-Americans and black leaders who have endorsed this song and support the song. But at the same time, I just struggle with the title of this song because, as you are noting, it kind of pits ideologies against each other. And so you have your feminist movement that this song is about. And I think a lot of the messaging in here is very positive, but it's almost at the expense of the black movement and the civil rights movement in a way, just based off the title of the song, because you're essentially saying women are black people in the sense that black people are oppressed and underserved in our communities, but that's also all women. And so to me, it creates tension that A, doesn't need to exist, but B, I think just the title of the song creates more controversy than it does good. Because everyone talks about the title of the song and not what the song is about. Yeah, and you know, there were quite a bit of backlash, but you do got to realize at this time, like people, or John Lennon and Yoko Ono were actually, they were partying and I don't want to say partying, but protesting and, you know, taking things to the street with the Black Panthers and stuff. And so they right. had kind of this quote unquote in with this phrase but they also got really good they got more acceptance from the feminists uh movement of that time and they got awarded for this song and you know it's it's kind of that weird kind of you know up and down thing and while you know for me personally the word you know i've never had to use that word in my life to you know right um you know so it's like i don't put a lot of connotation with black people in that uh, word and the the congressman Ron Delums, um, I think from New York, he was a Democrat, um, kind of helped explain John Lennon's case to demonstrate the broader use of the term, meaning that that ter- term, the N word, really has lost its all meaning. And the way that the congressman says in the video, um, a lot of people, you know, please look this up so you can kind of hear what some other people's perspective is. But his, in just kind of a short kind of shorthand way, he says that. If you connotate that with black people, that's not black people of today. That's more of most of Americans today because they were being oppressed by the Nixon administration, the war. Um, you know, they were kind of going through a lot of shit at the time. And they, you know, the congressman was saying it's not just black people suffering. It's everybody. And if you're going to look down and lowly at it, there's a, a lot of Americans, not just the African-Americans. And so I, I, I do see it in that sense, too. But it does really it does really raise that question. I mean, is that I don't want to say it's appropriate because I'm a you know, I'm a I like George Carlin and Richard Pryor. So I mean, I like, I like breaking the barriers and comedy and stuff. 
and words, you know, uh, matter to some people. Um, and I can see why that would be big, but my big thing is the two philosophies, the two ideologies, they come into conflict here because the women are saying, yes, we're the oppressed. But then you got a, a whole world of people on the other side where that word really does affect people sometimes. And it was directed at one group of people for the longest of time and still is today. Right. Right. Yeah. It creates a lot of conversation and discussion to be had. Yeah. And so with 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 the political stuff out of the way, um, I do want to say that tenor sax in there um, in the song and in the um, solo is just so fucking good. Um, Definitely listen to the song, kind of understand what the lyrics are trying to tell you. And then, you know, I think just uh, come away with, you know, what your feelings are of it and kind of see it through the lens of Lennon and uh, a lot of other people that backed him and then make your judgment on that before just kind of just looking at the one title and then, deme- you know, demeaning it at all. Just kind of listen to the idea, see where they're sure. trying to go with it. There is a purpose um, and it is a protest song of some sort. It is trying to stand up and for good, um, but it may be a bad approach. And there's also a killer guitar solo in this song. Yeah, Musically, this song is pretty rocking. Yeah, regardless of the politics of it. Oh, and it's great. The way that Lennon's vocal delivers the lines, too, is just so wonderful. Yeah, it's really good. All right, let's move on. And I'm going to introduce my next song. So this is by a gentleman that we've already brought up by name on this podcast. Someone who's been involved in political music all across the scene from being in Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Buffalo Springfield, and then as a solo act on his own. This, of course, is none other than Neil Young. So the song we're talking about is off the album Freedom in 1989, and the song is Rockin' in the Free World. You've definitely heard it before. So this song is kind of a, just a snapshot of, of America, really addressing a lot of the inequality that we face, talking about people sleeping in their shoes, talking about homelessness, drugs, and the war on drugs, and, and what it's done in the position it's put people in. So Neil Young's been singing about songs from the Vietnam War, like we talked about, to this, and even now talking about farmers he does farm aid which is a big festival supporting farmers so he's all over the place in the things that he stands up for and while it's on my mind read his autobiography this is for everyone listening read his biography i believe it's called the war of peace or the war on peace you might know off the top of your head waging heavy peace uh it's pretty good read just kind of tells his story uh as a musician and coming into the scene and his life in general and his obsession his hobby of collecting trains model trains anyway this song is a rocking song really great to listen to there's almost no way no one's ever heard this song before whether it's just been on in the background so you definitely know this song one thing i want to talk about this song is it often gets misinterpreted or misunderstood as to what it's about just based on the title rocking in the free world which is repeated over and over in the chorus just by the title you might think it's a pretty patriotic pro-america song 
because it's like, yeah, we're free. We're rocking because we're a free country. This is America and we're free. But it's quite the opposite of that. It's more of a keep rocking the boat in the free world is one way I like to think about it. Or just looking at it ironically of rocking in the free world. Well, not really kind of approach, but really takes on just a snapshot of life in America and the world and maybe that it's not as great as we say that it is. No, I'm definitely one of those people that probably misunderstood it as, uh, you know, pro-American and stuff like that. You know, because to me, Certainly, it was more, I did too. you know, it has that freedom aspect. That wasn't not, not like uh, Bruce Springsteen's uh, Born in the USA. Right. I knew that one was always BS. You know, that wasn't like pro-USA. Uh, so it's like you knew that was standing against it. So I'm really glad that this one kind of is another like fuck you to it a little bit. So, no, this one's always been a favorite. Love that uh, heavy, heavy uh, guitar in the beginning uh, and just a really great uh great guitar work again by him and it's just a different sound and he brings it to you know a powerful message absolutely what do you got for us so our next one goes a little more so this artist is one of those uh you know foreign artists that i was talking about um you know i think everybody knows uh once i say what uh, country he's from everybody's gonna know exactly who it is but uh this song was a little bit of, of a different protest uh, song that I wanted to go with. Has a little more feeling. Uh, surprisingly, this is just him and his acoustic guitar. Um, it was on his 12th album with his band, The Wailers. Uh, it was on Uprising. This artist is from Jamaica. His name is Bob Marley. And one of the greatest songs I've ever heard in my life, uh, Redemption Song. I just love that haunting acoustic guitar that kind of starts it very low, very tame, you know, not very, not very active music like he's used to. It's not very, you know, in your face. This is kind of very personal. This is kind of meant to stand up more, Um, you know, it's kind of spiritual almost in that aspect. And that's where I really think that um, aside from his vocals, um, you really get that feeling with his strumming throughout here um, and the way that he's doing it. It feels kind of lazy. It feels kind of like he's he's at the end of his at, at the end of his life almost. And it's just really a really great piece of music here. Um, it was written in 1979 um, right after he got his cancer diagnosis and he was kind of facing his own mortality. And here I thought it was always about like true slavery um more about um you know the slaves being brought over on boats or i know that there was some jamaican uh slave trading going on there too so i thought that's kind of what the connotation was but you know some and there were lyrics that were derived from uh pan you know pan african kind of orator named marcus gravy um entitled the work that has been done and so there are some uh, connotations to that type of slavery um, but it's more of the mental slavery that we have in ourselves and the struggle to free ourselves from the struggles of life and society and I really think that you know it's a bit of a you know mental kind of a puzzle to do with yourself and this is um, kind of him finding redemption in himself and in his life and kind of like looking at that and I just really think this is a beautiful piece it's beautifully performed 
Um, this is one of the more powerful songs that I've ever come across. Yeah, Bob Marley has done a fantastic job as an artist of writing songs that emotionally connect with people, but also send a message. And this isn't his first and only protest song, but most people don't realize because you hear a lot of those hits and it's like the Jamaican, Irie, like feel good kind of songs. But a lot of his songs have political connotations and political messages in them. I shot the sheriff, get up, stand up, concrete jungle, simmer down. So there's a lot. That's just to name a few that he addresses political nature, but he does so in a really relaxing is the word that comes to mind, but that's not the right word. But he crafts these political songs in a way that's engaging to the listener, but also creates a sense of calm and ease. Yeah, definitely. I think this song is no different. He has a wonderful performance in here. And one of the things I wanted to talk musically with you is, you know, the song begins with that haunting acoustic riff, um, which is kind of bare and lonely. And it kind of feels like right in your face almost. And then you got... uh, Bob's vocals, but have a little echo to them. I kind of originally always have thought, I mean, way back when I first heard the song, I was like 14, 15, kind of analyzing it. Kind of thought that it would be better if it had no effects. Um, But I really like the feeling that the haunting feeling of the echo with his voice, it's kind of like him being dead, and this is sort of his rising or his redemption. Like, this is him going towards it. What do you think? I definitely like the effect because this song is so simple and I think without that it would just be another acoustic song, acoustic vocal song. So I like the path that he took here to kind of create an added effect to it. I think especially when you consider emancipate yourself from mental slavery, to me that kind of represents that bouncing around in the mind a little bit of trying to get out. And so I I like the added effect to it that he presents i think it adds another layer to the song no it's definitely i really agree with you on that too it's 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 one of those songs that i've always when we first thought about this list this was one one of those that just popped right to my head so wonderful performance love bob marley all the way through a lot of his stuff is great and this is one of his top pieces i think all right ben would you like to go up on to the next song i would So this one, we're going back to the modern day. I think this is one that most people don't know this song. Um, I don't think a lot of people know this artist yet. We've definitely talked about her on this podcast, but she's growing in popularity. Mm -hmm. We saw her open up as an opening act, and now she's a Grammy, at least nominated. I've definitely had this question before, but making headway and moving really fast. One of my favorite country artists today in existence uh just released a new song a couple weeks ago actually so go Mm -hmm. check that out but the song we're talking about today is off the album all american made in 2017 the song is called pay gap by margot price so this is kind of your classic country ditty type of song and the title speaks for itself it's a modern protest addressing the pay gap that occurs between men and women and i would assume i don't know a lot about the music industry but if i had to take a guess i would say it's probably pretty prevalent in the music industry too where women artists are paid significantly less than their male counterparts 
And again, pulls no punches about what this is about. The chorus literally says, pay gap, pay gap, ripping my dollars in half. Yeah, this is a this is a really nice kind of slow country uh, ditty almost. I mean, this has a lot of great music going on in the background. It's got like a concertina in the back, I think. I mean, this yep. it kind of peps it up a little bit. And it kind of, I think, is one of those things where it's like it's she's meant to show you this you know girlish this cutest you know cute self but yet in the real heart of her the woman she can be piercing with her lyrics and stuff you know it's kind of like hidden behind this makeup and shit like that and so the the sound of the song when the first time i heard it was when we put this list up together um i'm I'm sure she might have played in concert when we seen her maybe even um but man this it's a really good little song and it kind of shows a, a cute face but it has some bite to it yeah there's a few lyrics i'll read them really quick that stand out just really addressing this first she says it's not that i'm asking for more than i'm owed and i don't think i'm better than you they say that we live in the land of the free but sometimes that bell don't ring true it's been that way with no equal pay and i want to know when it will be fixed women do work and get treated like slaves since 1776 so i thought that was just a really creative way to address it and making sure it's explicit in the sense of I'm not saying I should be paid more than I'm worth or that I'm better than anyone else or that women are better or more deserving of pay but more of like this is a fact that needs to be addressed and I think part of the problem with this specific argument even still now is that people don't necessarily believe or buy into the fact or they make excuses for for why it is that way and there's maybe nuances to the argument, but still on a whole schematic level, it's an issue. And so she's coming right after it here. And then later on, she says, no matter your religion, no matter your race, no matter your orientation, no matter your creed and no matter your taste, no matter your denomination, we're all the same in the eyes of God. But in the eyes of rich white men, you're more than a maid to be owned like a dog, second class citizen. So really just going straight after her the root of the problem here I think it's kind of funny no matter your religion no matter your creed and then says we're all in the same of the eyes of god which i find that a little ironic but that's besides mm-hmm. the point of the song yeah exactly no that's hilarious <laughs> so is that a concertina or is that an is that accordion i think it's a concertina so there is a little okay. concertina solo in this song which is kind of cool don't know when we'll get to talk about a concertina solo again so it is in there (laughs) but i think this song is just a good example of a modern protest song we talked about it how there's not a lot but they still exist and this is a great example of one going straight after what the issue is nope exactly i think that's uh, that's a really good one that you pulled out there i and then margo price lover fantastic all right, Benny. So I'll go on with my last song. Um, and my last artist is a female. We'll just go a few years ahead of her, of your last artist, Margot Price. Um, this artist is a black artist uh, from the 1930s, one of the most heralded singers of all time. Um, I'm just going to say it. This is Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit. And 
it begins with this haunting piano chord strike and this beautiful horn that just kind of rolls on. Um, you can definitely tell like where Pokey Lafarge was picking out his sounds from this early uh, or late 30s, early 40s kind of sound because this horn is just so perfect. But it's so haunting. And this song um, performed by Billie Holiday was actually written by Abel Murrow. Arapal. I'm going to murder that name, but hopefully she's not uh, alive um, to <laughs> kick my butt. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully but, she's know. not alive so she can't hear you <laughs> mispronounce her name. I know. Oh. You know, just just to say it, you know, just I hope she died a peaceful <laughs> death. But uh, uh, may I burn in hell. Uh, no, but no, this song is actually one of the, I think, most, when I've read about it and heard it, um, you know, when you listen to it, it really strikes you because of the sounds that are going on with Billy Holiday's vocals which are just so very haunting but the delivery 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 of the lyrics is what's really amazing with her I mean it's a simple these are just a short verses they're only four lines a piece but she stretches this out into a you know three minute song um, that's absolutely beautiful so her lyrics begin with southern trees bear a strange fruit blood on the leaves and blood at the root that is such beautiful imagery such Mm -hmm. great words to use and the delivery of billy holiday with those words is just so striking i'm just amazed by the song the song just was always giving me the chills yeah the imagery is fantastic beautiful it really like you can't not hear it. It creates a picture in your head, just stunning. And the fact that this song came out when it did, at a height at the time of American racism in the late '30s, you had a lot of the Klan. The Ku Klux Klan was as strong as it had ever been around mm-hmm. that time, and then it only grew. And then leading to the civil rights movement. And, you know, even today, racism maybe isn't as strong, but it certainly still exists and it's still a factor in our lives today. But to to write the song that she did in the way that she did or present the song in the way that she did mm-hmm. at this time is really remarkable. It's remarkable, but she also paid a price with this. I mean, yep. this was strong uh, protest against American racism and American lynching of African-Americans. I mean... The one line, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. I mean, that's just, it's just, you know, creepy to think that we actually had that in our society at, you know, at any point. Right. But, you know, it was so strongly believed that that's how things should happen. Billie Holiday paid quite a price with it. I mean, the FBI pretty much tormented her for years and caused her to drink and you know, um, I think they ruled her death uh, cirrhosis of the liver, but I, you know, those records, you know, could be very, very well tainted because of the FBI's sure um, despise for her pro- singing this protest. And Billie Holiday's manager even said, you got to quit singing it. And she kept singing it. And to me, that's the ultimate political and protest um, attitude to have. She took the bullet for this song. And that's pretty fucking powerful in my book. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great song selection, a fantastic protest song and a beautiful one at that. Yep, exactly. So, Ben, what is your final, final song? So without further ado, we will introduce the last song. 
if you've been paying attention at all, you might have a guess as to the name of this band. You might not know the song, but you know the name of the band. This song... You too. Close. Close. But you're wrong, Jesse. You're wrong. You have not been paying attention. I think uh, this coronavirus lockdown has gotten to your brain. It's gotten to my ears. Anyway, this song is by one of my favorite bands, known for their political music, off the 1992 album, self-titled album, Rage Against the Machine. This song is Know Your Enemy by Rage Against the Machine. Oh, yeah. So this song starts out, the guitar playing alone, Tom Morello's one of my early influences in guitar. He is playing his guitar. He's got one volume knob turned down and one volume knob turned up. And he's switching on the toggle switch between the pickups. to So it's basically going on and off, on and off, on and off while he's playing. And that's what's creating this delay sound. It's That's him like switching his toggle switch. So really cool, innovative guitar player influenced heavily by 90s hip-hop. He grew up or was in Los Angeles at the time, and that's around when a lot of early hip-hop was coming out, 1992 and late 80s as well. But this song itself just goes hard in general after the hypocrisy and complacency of America. So really, Rage came onto the scene with Zach De La Roca, who was heavy in political music and still is to this day. And so he drove a lot of the narrative of this band and what was it what it was about. But this song talking about the lack of progress for good as we move into ninety two, still in a room without a view, that's one of the first lyrics that starts off the song. But he addresses a lot of things from police violence. He says something must be done about vengeance, a badge and a gun. Don't essentially in other parts of the song saying, Don't be a sheep, fight the war, fuck the norm. Now I got no patience, so sick of complacence. With the D, the E, the F, the I, the A, the N, the C, the E, mind of a revolutionary. That spells defiance, by the way. Which took me, until I was reading the lyrics for this episode, to understand what he was spelling. Which, because I've been singing this song for a long time, and I knew that part, but for some reason didn't make the connection until I could see it on the word, as like, or on the screen, it was like, oh, that spells defiance. I get it now. Are you sure it doesn't say uh, finance? Because th- th- those tickets were pretty hefty when they were uh, actually having a show. Honestly, the ticket prices were better than I thought they would be. It was one twenty-five flat for anywhere in the arena, which they could have charged three hundred bucks for the floor and then two fifty for the lower bowl. But anyway, and they kept their fees down. I was surprised. It was like one forty-five after fees, which Ticketmaster is known to charge 30% fees plus taxes. Fuck Ticketmaster. I hate them. Don't get me started about Ticketmaster. Pearl Jam also hated Ticketmaster, and they did a lot of protesting about Ticketmaster and how they were ripping off artists. But I digress. Where was I? So some other lyrics that he says in this song. The finger to the land of the chains. What? The land of the free? Whoever told you that is your enemy. So using the title of the song, but basically saying when we say that this 
country is the land of the free, you're getting also a lot of bullshit because what you're not hearing is a lot of the institutional racism, the slavery that it was built on, the pushing of indigenous people out of their land, a lot of things, and just systematic oppression that happens to poor people, minorities. So addressing a lot of that, which still exists to this day. So this song is just all-encompassing of understanding, and the title, Know Your Enemy, is basically a call to think twice about what you've been told and understand that maybe the people who are telling you a lot of these things are shaping the narrative of what the world is or what this country is, maybe take what they say with a grain of salt and really think about it of why would they be telling you this. And one of my favorite parts of this song is as it wraps up, he says, yes, I know my enemies. They're the teachers that told me to fight me. Compromise, conformity, assimilation, submission, ignorance, hypocrisy, brutality, the elite, all of which are American dreams. And then repeats that, all of which are American dreams. All of which are American dreams. All of which are American dreams. And so he really goes after society saying these things, compromise, conformity, assimilation, they're not necessary. They're not good things, but we willfully do them because you're kind of taught to do these things, to compromise and assimilate, submit, be ignorant, buy into the hypocrisy from when we're children. And it's hard to break out of that norm. And that's why he paints it as an American dream. No, exactly. And Rage has always been, I mean, that first album is so phenomenal. And they are one of those people that, one of those bands that really does get out the the protest. They get out to advocate for these kind of things and the hypocrisy of everything that is uh, corporate America and and kind of the, the... what did you say earlier? I really like the complacency of America. I really like that, and they do a really attack that. But th- you got to give credit for uh, these guys putting together a really great first album coming mm-hmm. on out. I mean, yep. uh, so good. I mean, from Bullet in the Head, Know Your Enemy, uh, Freedom is phenomenal. Um, and I, this, I mean, it's a really great, put w- a well-put-together album as well. And if you want to talk about true protest and everything, uh, that cover is so phenomenal. It's the... Uh, Vietnamese Buddhists, you know, lighting himself on fire, and it's the complete, um, what do you call it? Kind of like just the the ultimate sacrifice, uh, you know, standing up and willing to take that hit, and uh, that's a beautiful first cover for them to have, and it really set their career uh, forward. I thought, yeah, it really did, and they didn't hold back. They stayed to message. They sadly only put out a few albums including one album that was a cover album and then kind of disbanded i think part of it was i think zach was kind of hard to work with because the rest of the guys so tim brad and tom all stayed together and continued to play together the next band they formed was the band audio slave with chris Mm -hmm. cornell so it was the three guys from rage against the machine minus zach plus chris and then when that band disbanded after three two or three albums they continued on and they played in different versions prophets of rage is one they've been doing recently teaming up with i believe wu-tang clan i could be wrong but either way the band has been playing together and now i would imagine because it's election season with this president that we have uh rage against the machine is touring um this year well hopefully 
Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, we don't know we'll yet. See. Yeah. But, you know, the band is back together. And uh, Public Enemy, excuse me. Prophets of Rage is yeah. Rage Against the Machine and Public Enemy, not Wu-Tang Clan. Ooh. They did some other stuff with Wu-Tang Clan. But, yeah, now they're back together and touring. No signs of an album or no echoes of an album, at least. But, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and they put out a new album. But hey, for now... EP would be sweet. Yeah, you know? even even a new song, period, would be sweet. But I'm not counting on it. Hopefully I get to see them. I know that concert's been pushed back. I really hope I still get to see them this year. But who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah, you know, it's uh, we don't know where life's going, but you know what? We'll sacrifice this time. We'll sacrifice this time just like true protesters, and we'll stand up against this flu, this little flaky virus. Yeah, if there's any time for unity, it's now. Exactly, and we'll stand up against it. And... Hopefully still get some decent, decent. I have no clue where I was going to go with that. So I was going to go with some decent Chinese food, I think, because I don't <laughs> know how to make that. I don't know how to do Chinese food at home. Yeah, not authentic. I've no, definitely done the American know. version of it, but not real Chinese food. The sesame chicken. I'd like to try that. The sesame chicken. <laughs> yeah, I've done like the fried rice, fried chicken, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the the, the kind of... The, the the ones that you kind of want a little bit more of, I guess. Yeah, yeah. go patronize right. your local Chinese establishments because they need support right now because they're getting vilified for no fault yeah. of their own. Fucking yeah. racist. And order extra egg rolls, you know. I like egg rolls. Your mouth will be happy. Oh, yeah. The tummy will be too. And so will the uh, needle on the record. I think it's about lifting up for this episode. Do you have anything else to say on the protests? Nope. I think we covered quite a bit. We ran a little long, but hey, we had a good time. Hey, I was enjoying it. I can't believe it's, uh, we've been at it for so long, but that needle's lifting up, brothers. And uh, folks, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We will see you next week when we have another topic. Corona madness. Some Corona madness. So please join us for some lighthearted fun next week. Uh, This week was absolutely wonderful with you, Ben. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead of you. You too. Stay well. Don't go insane. That goes for everybody listening, assuming you're listening about when this comes out. Yeah. Hopefully you haven't already lost it. Take care of yourselves. Stay healthy. Yeah. Stay healthy. Stay uh, isolated. Yeah. Stay (laughs) isolated. Yeah, I, I've never had to say that before in my life. You know, it's like, that's kind of weird. But You folks, might not safe. get sick, but you could pass to someone who does. And I love my grandma. I don't want her to die. Exactly. And uh, I haven't seen your grandma for a couple of weeks, so we're good. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> and we will sign off on that one. I'm Jesse Drager here in Minneapolis. Ben in Chicago, Illinois. Everybody have a wonderful eve. Goodbye. Hey everyone, did you have a good time? We sure did. If you did too, now would be a great time to head over to Facebook and like us and leave us a review there while you're at it. Or, and or, head over to Apple Podcasts and also leave us a review there. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media. That's not including Facebook, because you should already be there. Instagram at On The Record Music. You can also shoot us an email at OnTheRecordMusicPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. We really do appreciate this. Please share this with one other person, and we'll see you next week.